Welcome to episode 141 of the Daniel Yoris podcast with today's guest, Mark Young. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Joined here today by Mark Young. Mark, thanks for joining me, man. It's a pleasure to talk to you again here on the on the podcast and be able to share your crazy story, to, to say the least. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me here. I'm excited to be here. Can you go ahead and introduce yourself and without getting into your the, the story we're going to really talk about, but who are you and, and what is it that you do? Yeah, my name is Mark Young. Uh, I have worked in the fitness industry for 20 plus years. Uh, I work as a personal trainer and I also do some fitness coaching for an online weight management platform called Sequence. Um, so I kind of split my time between the two, but yeah, that's my main focus. Have you always been a trainer, like out of school or whatever schooling you did, were you a trainer right away or did you have another career before getting into getting into training? Yeah. So I actually graduated from kinesiology, went back to grad school for a bit to do some, uh, you know, research in exercise physiology. Well, actually I started in biomechanics and switched to exercise physiology because, well, physiology is um, less physics. Um, and uh, yeah, so when I, when I left school, I got into personal training pretty much right away, but I have done, um, you know, some contract work in um, actually working in a bariatric program in hospitals, helping people with obesity. Um, I've done a whole bunch of online coaching for uh, some, for a large company. I've worked at uh, various places for personal training. So my career's always been in fitness slash nutrition. Uh, but it's been a mishmash of various experiences that have really uh, developed the philosophy that I have now. Yeah, I can I can imagine. I mean, there's not many people who have been doing it as, as long as you have. And that's, that's I say that in, in the most complimentary way possible because we just, we need more people who are more experienced, me not being one of them just because I haven't, you know, I had enough years behind me yet. Um, but there's not many people who have been able to, one, just survive financially and business-wise in, in the industry uh, as long as you and have, you know, really, really loved it and just been doing it the whole time. A lot of people have like, oh, I was in an office job and then I wanted, I really liked the gym and I wanted to get out of the nine to five. And then I became a trainer when I was you know, 35 or whatever. And that's totally cool. And that's fine. But it's a bit of a different path than like, Hey, this is what I've always wanted to do. And I've like been doing it, which is, you know, a big, big credit to you for that. Yeah. I have to say like when I, when I was in grad school, my, my plan was to go the academic route. So my plan was finish my master's, finish my PhD, go on to teach exercise physiology and a university somewhere. And, uh, you know, little irrelevant backstory, but my father passed pretty suddenly during the process of me being in grad school. And that was a pretty, a big eye opener for me. And I decided at that time, like, I really don't, um, I didn't want to be in the academic sphere. Not that I don't think that's super useful. I still find it really valuable, but I felt like my responsibility was to be out helping people in a more practical sense to better their health so that maybe they wouldn't have to experience what my father experienced. And so that was kind of a, a big shift for me, but that's kind of how I ended up where I am. Right. And at the time, I imagine that was a pretty, a pretty bold decision because, you know, only in recent years has it become somewhat like, 
cool to be a personal trainer, but as even as, as young as I am and as for as little time as I've been doing this, like when I decided to become a personal trainer, I had a lot of uh, hesitations with saying that I'm quote unquote, just a trainer. I'm not a, a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a this. I'm just a trainer. But that would have even been more like years ago. Was that something that you struggled with at that time as well? Um, you know, I had been doing it like when I finished my undergrad, I started doing personal training, uh, like kind of like for about a year before I went back into grad school. So it was kind of like the the thing I was doing in the interim before I went to grad school. Right. Um, it was helping, you know, complement my income so that I could afford to live while I was in school. Um, to leave school to do that full time, surprisingly, like I had a lot of support from my family. Um, I left my master's program uh, with maybe a couple months to completion, like we'd run the study that, you know, <laughs> that I was to run for my master's. We had, uh, you know, we'd already collected the data. We were analyzing the data, running statistics, you know, so I was pretty far along. So to leave, um, to go to training, you would think would have met a lot of resistance, but the people close closest to me could really understand, I guess, where... I re- where I felt I needed to be and were super supportive. In right. retrospect, no. like I probably should have finished my master's. Like really, <laughs> that would have been that would have been pretty smart. I kind of I toy with sometimes going back and, and wrapping that up, but uh, but yeah, I did uh, surprisingly a lot of support. It's it's undeniable that having those couple of letters behind your name definitely does matter. It's not the only thing. It doesn't automatically make someone. Uh, you know, good or more credible or whatever, but it it definitely helps and and could open up doors. But I mean, I, I'm sure at this point it probably wouldn't it probably wouldn't actually make that much of a difference for you. But you know, in hindsight, I'm sure being that close, like ah, could have just finished it. Like if one of your kids was in that position, I'm sure you'd I'm sure you'd push them to just suck up the last couple months and, and finish it off. Yeah, definitely. I'd probably just be like, look, like you're almost there. Just just nudge it over the line. I mean, it was a lot of work. Um, and, you know, every time I think about going back to finish up, I, then I think like for the few thousand dollars and all the effort it's going to take me to complete that, it's really probably not going to add much to my ability to generate income or do anything that I want to do in my life. It's just like one of those boxes I left unchecked. So yeah. who knows? One day I may go back and check that box. Yeah, there you go. It's very similar to me, actually. You wouldn't know this, but I, I dropped out of chiropractic school with about two years uh, two and a half years to go. And that's, you know, longer than a couple of months. But then at the time it was like, you know, I don't really want to actually do this, but you know, having that doctor behind my name would have opened up a lot of doors and, and helped a lot. Um, but I don't really want to do this. So is the, you know, however many thousand dollars in the next couple of years, is it going to be worth it? And, you know, in my mind at the time it was no, and things were looking good. And then it's like COVID took two years away from me. So it's like, well, in that sense, like the two years doesn't, doesn't actually like matter in the grand scheme of things, but you know, Anyway, so it is what it is, all done, and uh, you know we just move forward the the best that yeah. we can, which I think is a kind of going to be a central theme of of the, the the rest of this conversation. So switching gears, and I know that there's a lot to get through, so I don't want to rush into it, but um, I've heard the story a couple times. It, it's still going to blow my mind. Um, but Mark, tell us what happened to you over the past year and a half or so. Yeah, so um, I mean. I guess I should preface this by saying like, you know, I've been pretty active most of my life. So prior to this situation happening, 
you know, I was strength training three to four days a week. I was doing yoga once a week. I was going for a couple hour hike, you know, on the weekend. I was super active. Um, but when I was 19, I, we discovered that I had heart valve leak that would eventually need to be replaced. So in July of 2022, I went in the hospital to have this procedure done. Essentially, they needed to replace one of the valves, the aortic valve in my heart. The plan was to do something called a Ross procedure. Um, they would basically open me up, do the valve replacement, and the plan was for me to go home after about five days. Unfortunately, they put me under and I didn't end up waking up for about five weeks. So nobody really seems to know for sure what happened. The valve replacement went well, or about as well as it could have. Uh, they had expected me to wake up in recovery and in the ICU, and I just didn't. Uh, somewhere over the span of the next few days, um, in my you know my timelines are fuzzy because um, I'm basically going from a journal that was kept and a uh, you know my my charts. Um, but basically somewhere over the next few days, uh, they found that the right side of my heart wasn't doing what it was supposed to be doing. So they did an angiogram, went back in, put in a stent somewhere during that time. I went into cardiogenic shock and experienced multi-system shutdown, which basically means everything shut off. Uh, my lungs were failing, so I had to be put on a ventilator. My kidneys were failing, so I had to be put on dialysis. And uh, eventually they had to put me on something called ECMO, which is essentially what I, what I was told is like the Hail Mary of life support. Basically what they do is they put a large cannula or tube in one of your legs and a large cannula or tube in your other leg, so in your femoral arteries, I guess. And the blood from your body leaves through one of those tubes into a machine that puts oxygen in the blood and then circulates that blood back into your body. And that was responsible basically for keeping me alive. Wild. Yeah. So. And that's, that's just the beginning of it. <laughs> that's, that's the start. I mean, that's yeah. when things were really bad. Um, you know, at some point my pancreas failed as well and if you're following along, the pancreas is responsible for producing insulin. So because my pancreas failed, I became temporarily diabetic. So they then had to start testing my blood sugars regularly and administering uh, insulin. Again, I was unconscious, so I don't remember any of this. Uh, at some point or another, um, you know, there's, there's discussion about whether this, there is a spiritual component to this or whether medically something changed. All I do know is that at some point my kidneys must have come back online. My body started producing urine again and they're like, Hey, there's pee in the bag. And we're so excited because, you know, um, for some reason, after some amount of time, my body started to do what it was supposed to do. Uh, so that was great news. Uh, the bad news, of course, is that um, the, the, the things that were in my legs that were keeping me alive were the, one of the risks 
with those things with ECMO is that it can potentially cause clots. And uh, there was, there's my leg started to experience some kind of lack of blood flow to like, well, my right leg started to experience some lack of blood flow to my foot, started going darker. And they realized that I had some kind of, um, some kind of like blockage or occlusion in my lower leg somewhere in my, uh, in the front of my shin, I started to experience something called compartment syndrome. For those who aren't, who don't aren't familiar, it's basically where the blood flow in an area becomes, um, really high to the point where it creates the muscles can create pressure on the, on the vessels that would run through that area. So essentially I couldn't get blood flow to my foot. And in order to save my foot, they had to do something called a fasciotomy, which is where they stick a knife in basically up beside the outer part of your knee. And they just run it from the knee down to the ankle, splitting the leg open to relieve the pressure and let the blood through. Um, somewhere during this process, I also ended up with a four inch clot, clot in my right femoral artery. Um, and the blood flow restrictions in that leg ultimately resulted in the toes on my right foot just going black to the point of, you know, basically just completely dying. So even though they took these drastic measures, I was unable to, they were unable to rescue the toes essentially. Um, Insane. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, uh, so... The And I guess kind of the other thing at this time was in order to be able to do these things on my leg, they had to take the ECMO off. So they removed the life support, but I still really wasn't waking up. So they decided to do an MRI or a CT or something to look at my brain. And they discovered that I'd had you know a number of small strokes in my brain, as well as uh, at one point I had some kind of like a clot in one of my jugular veins in my neck which again was also problematic, right? Um, Somewhere around September, so it was like, I'm figuring it was like late July, July 22nd, 23rd, when I went in for the surgery, probably end of of August was when I woke up. Um, Apparently there were times of wakefulness in the ICU where I was awake, um, maybe trying to speak, but I had like a trach, um, had tried to communicate with people. I I don't remember any of those momentary points when I was awake until the end of August. I vaguely remember them asking me if I knew what the date was because they often use that in the hospital just to see if you're lucid and they say, you know, to say, what's the date? And they're like, well, it's July 22nd. And they say, oh, I'm sorry, it's August 26th. So for me, the last thing I remember is them saying, okay, you're going to have this quick surgery, putting that little thing over your face and you can't back from 10 and I wake up and it's a month later. So for me, it's a time warp. And then they say, hey, guess what? All this stuff happened to you. And of course, that's just like mind blowing because, you know, you can't, you can't deal with the lack of t- the loss of time. It's like. A whole month happened, all this stuff happened, and I have no awareness of it. 
except for the fact that all the stuff that happened to my right leg resulted in my leg getting paralyzed from the hip down. So um, it was basically just a floppy noodle. Uh, and, you know, the plan, I guess, at the time was to amputate, but um, fortunately we didn't end up doing that. Very fortunately. I mean, I, I can't even begin to imagine what that would have been like waking up you know, a month, five weeks later, and then having to come to terms with like, okay, they're not joking. Like no one's, no one's pulling my leg here. Like, no, this is, this is real. And all this shit is on me and tubes stuck in me. And I'm sure there are machines beeping and people around me and things don't look the same. And you you know, you said you had a big beard and like, you know, all this, all this stuff happened. It's like, what the fuck are we, what are we, how did this happen? And then trying to make sense of all this, this like, you know, you, you know your stuff with science and the body and stuff, but it's like this hardcore science stuff. And we have to do this and then this and then that. And like nothing's working. It's like, oh, but I'm but I'm here now. And then they don't know how it happened or even really why why you woke up again. Like there's so many unknowns here that are like pretty, pretty crucial to try and understand. Yeah, it was like, I mean, there's so many like things I had to like kind of process. I mean, first of all, I didn't look the same at all, right? So I mean, I'd never had a beard in my life prior to this moment, uh, but I hadn't shaved in like five weeks. So I woke up with this crazy beard looking like Tom Hanks in Castaway, right? <laughs> uh, you know, like I look at my foot and my toes are like black and completely necrotic. And I'm like, oh, are we taking these off? And they're like, oh, don't don't worry. We're, we're going to wait for those to uh, auto amputate. And I'm like thinking like, Auto amputee. You mean fall off? <laughs> and they're like, "Well, well, yeah. I mean, we prefer auto amputate, but that's basically <laughs> what it is." Uh, you know, so that was their plan. They're like, literally going to just wait for my toes to fall off, um, which, by the way, I did not wait for. Um, and uh, you know, I was just dealing with so much. I'd also gone in, so I'd gone in at about 185 pounds. So I'm I'm about five three on a good day. So, you know, I've, I was in probably, you know, the best shape I've been in in a while is feeling pretty good going in. And, uh, by the time, you know, by the time I was on the rehab ward, I was probably down to about 140 pounds. So I lost 45 pounds really quickly. So like the first time I saw myself in the, in the mirror, like the hospital gown is just hanging on you. You got like this huge, you know, you know, cut down the center of your chest from the heart surgery, the crazy beard, you know, you just look like emaciated. It was just like really just hard to come to terms with that um, initially. But, uh, <laughs> you know, on top of the other stuff, because then you're also like, oh, by the way, we're probably going to need to amputate your, your leg. So like your whole life just changes and yeah. what feels like an instant. Yeah, because you, you woke up and that was great and that was awesome, but that wasn't like the, the end of it. It wasn't like, okay, fine, Mark's finally awake. Get dressed and go home, get a shave and, and on your way. It's like, no, this was kind of just the beginning of of getting back to like just living and being part of the being part of the world again, right? Yeah, like, you know, people are always like, oh my God, you had all this stuff happen. Like that must have been terrible. And I'm like, truthfully, like those five weeks for me, I was asleep. I don't know. Like, right. even when I see pictures from that time, I'm like, it just, it doesn't feel like it was me coming back, like coming 
waking up was the worst part. Like mm-hmm. everyone's like, yeah, you're alive. And you're like, oh man, it's better when I wasn't alive. <laughs> you right. know, like no right. offense, but like this sucks. Yeah. And, uh, you know, to, it was, you know, I have a lot of feelings about that, but, um, yeah, that was, that's where the work began, right? Like as soon as you wake up, that's when you have to start. I mean, first of all, psychologically dealing with all the crap, you know, the, the feelings, the emotions that go with that, like my identity was tied up in fitness, working mm-hmm. in fitness, training people, being an example to those people. Um, and then suddenly I'm not that guy anymore. Right? right. And the doctors are saying, you're never going to be that guy anymore. Your identity, who you were is completely gone. And like, you're just processing that while trying, trying to deal with all the physical implications as well. Right. I think that never being that is probably a little bit too harsh. It's just going to change how it is, right? You're still a coach. You still have all the knowledge that you had and all the experience that you had and still can, you know, give so much to the world. Maybe it's harder for you to demonstrate and for you to live those things, but you still are who you are. It's just in a different, in different shape, right? Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, I'm skipping ahead, but like, as soon as I was cleared to exercise again, like I was doing everything I could be doing to get back to physical activity, not because I felt like I, you know, had to do that. It's just like who I am, right? right. I just, that's just something that I do. And I feel like now having been through this, you know, most of the people that I train haven't been through this, but when someone's like, oh, I'm having a rough day, I'm like, are you having a rough day? <laughs> Tell me about your pain and troubles and how yeah. hard it is for you to make it to the gym, <laughs> right? right? Like, not that people don't have pain and, pain and difficulty, but, you know, I, I feel like I have a different perspective on it than I did before. Yeah. Everyone's pain and difficulty and, and challenges are are relative. Like, you know, a 10 out of 10, you know, worst day ever for me is different than a 10 out of 10 worst day ever for you and different for someone else, but still a 10 out of 10. But sometimes putting some perspective on it really, it really helps. Like you can say, oh, like, okay, my problem is actually like not that bad, all things considering like uh, I can navigate this and do, you know, whatever I, I, I got to do. Um, before, prior to all this and, and like even any other earlier time in your life, did you ever have any major injuries just like from sports or from lifting or from whatever that really took you out for a while that you had something to pull from of like, oh, I, oh no, I'm just injured right now. I busted my ankle. I'm going to be out for six weeks. But where you had that mini loss of identity? I mean, you know, if you left for long enough, you're going to have things that kind of derail you sometimes. Sure. You know, um, like it your shoulders just out of commission you need to give it a little break or you know different things like that but nothing like nothing serious where i would have been like i mean not with the threat of potentially losing a limb because that's like that's 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 a big change right so i mean fortunately um you know the doctor wanted to remove my leg and they said you know we're gonna be take we need to remove your leg because well it's paralyzed and i was like i would like to keep it <laughs> uh, i'd like to keep my leg please and you know they're like well what do you think you're gonna do with that and i was just saying well i i think i'm gonna walk on it and and they said well i, I don't think you're gonna walk on that leg and it's like well you didn't think i was gonna live either so you're gonna be wrong two times 
And uh, for, it's funny because the vascular surgeon that, um, you know, that I spoke to about it at that time, like I still see him for uh, various things like associated with some of the surgeries I had. So he's, he's since, you know, seen me hobble into his, into his office and be like, you know, I was like, remember when you wanted to cut my leg off? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I wasn't able to stand um, without support. At the time, uh, I mean, my, my leg was literally just like a noodle. I couldn't do anything with it. So I did have to have a brace made while I was in the hospital that goes basically, we, they call it a CAFO or a knee ankle foot orthotic. Mm. Uh, basically, it is a, a brace that goes from my hip down underneath my foot um, that straps in, has metal things that can lock my leg out. So I can pull weight on it without collapsing to the ground. So effective. Yeah. So, uh, but I mean, when I first got it, uh, they, I spent, you know, the first four or five weeks in the ICU, they moved me to like a cardiac floor to continue the rehabilitation for my surgery, like, or the recovery. And then moved me to like a rehab floor where I would begin like my rehabilitation and ability to walk and stuff like that. So by about month three in hospital, and by the way, three months of hospital food, not amazing. <laughs> um, you know, by the, by month three, I was, you know, I got a brace. I was starting to move, but even at that time, like just to stand up and walk, you know, the length of those bars, you know, the bars you see in the movies when someone's relearning how to walk, um, I'm between those bars with the brace and, you know, if I'd walk the length of the bars one way and walk the length of the bars back, that was it, you know? And, uh, so my goal was just like, okay, what's the thing in front of me? And can I do that with everything I have? Mm. And that's basically what I did. I'm like, okay, if I'm only going to go from one end of the bars to the other and back, and then have to come to my room and take the brace off because my leg is in excruciating pain then that's what I'm going to do today. And, you know, after a couple of weeks of that, we went to using a walker and again, same thing, right? Baby steps. And then moving to using like, I call them the Forrest Gump crutches, the for, the forearm crutches. So I called, they called them the gumps. So I'd go in and be like, yo, where's the Forrest Gump crutches? And then, <laughs> uh, you know, eventually, uh, you know, when I wasn't until I became an outpatient, uh, so when I was discharged from the hospital after four months, uh, when I went home and I started doing outpatient physio that I was able to transfer to a cane and eventually walking with just the brace. Um, as of today, so now we're probably about 15 months post, yeah, post-surgery, something like that. Um, I can walk probably about 10 feet without my brace on at all. Um, I can extend my knee, like I can do a leg extension type of movement, not with weight, but I can extend my knee. Um, with my brace, I can, you know, go for walks I'm considerably slower than a regular human, but um, I can do the walks. I can get around the gym enough to do strength training. I've regained, you know, 35 of the 45 pounds of muscle that I lost so I've basically spent the last 15 months fighting tooth and nail for every little 
piece of physical ability that I once had. Right. Which is, that's hard. That's a lot. And, and it's, it's not like trying to build a little bit of muscle because you want to look a little bit better, you know, fit into a, a suit better or, or, you know, lose a little bit of fat because you want to, you know, look good at the beach. It's like, are you want to, you're rebuilding your entire body after, you know, your whole life of building it just to be able to do normal stuff and to be able to move and, and to live and be, be as normal as possible. Yeah. So it's like, a different level of, of, of motivation. You know, it's funny. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Like you would think that anybody who experienced what I had experienced would just be like, wow, like I can't stay here. Mm. I need to like get up and do what needs to be done. And this, that this should motivate somebody. But when I was in the hospital, like people were trying their best. Right. But I mean, like I was just, I mean, I want to say I was like ferocious about it. Being ferocious literally just meant like transferring to a wheelchair, but um, you know, I was just like, I'm walking again. Like that's, that's all there is to it. There's no, right. there's no debate about whether this is going to happen. I'm doing it. And like, I didn't see or feel that kind of like fire in all the people that I met along the way that were recovering from different things. Yeah. No, I, I get that. It's, it's extremely hard and extremely discouraging. And the steps you take to improve are so slow and so painful that, for some people that just, it just shuts them down. It's like, well, this is, this is it for me. And and this is one thing I wanted to ask you about too, is like the, when the doctors are there telling you like, Hey, we're going to have to amputate your leg. And then you said, man, no, thank you. Do you think that that's because they thought that was the best course of action? And this is no like slight on them or did, did they think it was the best course of action? Or is it that someone typically someone in your place wouldn't go through the 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 effort and put in the work necessary to actually regain the ability to walk like the most likely outcome for someone in your position was you'll never walk again however it's it's possible so long as you like do the things that are necessary just those things that are necessary are like really really hard and most people don't do them so wh- what do you what do you think about that you know i i can't say that i didn't consider the amputation first of all um sure. i don't know if you know travis Pollen. Uh, he's a, a fitness dude, great guy. Um, he has a, you know, full leg prosthetic um, that he wears all the time, obviously. And I contacted him. He's very knowledgeable, very intelligent dude. And I contacted him and I was like, hey, bro, this is the situation. You know, what, uh, you know, where, where should I go from here? And we talked about, you know, the possibility of prosthesis and all that kind of stuff. And it gave me some clarity, um, questions I need to ask the doctors and stuff like that. Um, but I do think the doctors were probably just operating on a, you know, percent chance of recovery, right? right? They're probably going, as well. yeah, average, like they're just looking and going, yeah, like most people in your situation, they're never going to they're never going to walk. And that's just how it's going to be. Um, fortunately I had a few people along the way that were really supportive. Uh, one of the doctors that I had on the rehab floor was just like, even after I had an, I got an EMG on my leg that was saying like, 
there will be no recovery here. Like they measured the muscle activity and the nerves and just said like, these nerves are just never going to do what you need for them to do to be able to walk. And I went back just feeling so defeated. And my doctor on the ward, basically, um, she said, and she, you know, she's does EMGs herself. Uh, and, uh, she just said, you know what? I know what he said to you there. She's like, but I've been watching you every day and I'm telling you that I still believe that you're going to walk. And, you know, that encouragement, despite what the tests said was like part of what kind of like kept me going. When I met my, my outpatient physio guy, I went in the first day and I was using the force gump crutches and I said, do you think that I'm ever going to be able to walk with just a cane? And he's like, do you, is that what you want to do? I'm like, well, yeah, I would prefer to walk without one. (laughs) And he's like, all right, well, let's go get a cane and we'll try it right now. And I was like, no, no, I was saying after some physio, he goes, no, no, right now. And he got me up and he, and we, and I walked with a cane my first day and outpatient physio. And he goes, all right, so we're already here. You know, he's like, let's get rid of these force gumps. And now we're on the cane. So that kind of thing was, he was just like, you're gonna, you're gonna, he's like, you're gonna walk. I'm telling you. He's like, I, I know I'm professionally not supposed to, you know, say these kind of things because, (laughs) you know, if I'm wrong, I'm giving you false hope. He's like, but he goes, if you have like that tenacity, he's like, he's like, you're just going to do it. So, you know, that was a huge help because I was working with him for months and, uh, you know, he, he was just like, even on days where I was like, not feeling it, not believing it, he was believing it for me. And just like, dude, you're just going to walk. So get up, stop being a baby about it, grab the bars. We're walking. So, yeah. That, that is a a hero of a coach. That is a bold move to be able to ask someone to try something that they're like, Oh, I mean, you know, in, in six months from now, I'd like to do this. Like, okay, let's try it right now. See, see what you got. Yeah, that was and, and a honestly, pretty high percent chance that you weren't going to be able to do it. Yeah, I was pretty sure I was going to eat it, to be honest. <laughs> but I already, you know, took enough spills that I wasn't too worried about hitting the floor again. Right. I mean, at one point, apparently, I decided I was a little bit not lucid when I first woke up from the coma, and at one point, I decided I was going home, so I threw myself out of my hospital bed onto the floor. So you know, I'd already, I already hit the ground a few times. Yeah. I was. <laughs> What's what's what what's one more face plant, you know? <laughs> exactly. But he uh yeah, he just basically called me on it, said let's do it. I mean, I was so lucky in physio, like I yeah. at at the time I was there, there was this other dude. So like the time I, I just would have to go in, just always end up with the same people around. There's one guy beside me, he'd been shot like six times, like a young guy, uh probably in his thirties, been shot six times. So we called him fifty cent. And we had had this other dude had like broken his back doing uh, skateboarding. So we called him Tony Hawk. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it was like me, Fiddy and Tony. And, uh, you know, having that community there was like really fun. There's actually another lady that was there and she wanted, she was a bit older, maybe in her sixties, but she had like, she really wanted a nickname. And, uh, but she had like a, a single leg prosthetic, like, full leg prosthetic, but it was literally just like a post, like just from like, you know, from her thigh down to the floor. And I was like, well, what's your real name? She's like, 
Peg. <laughs> uh, the nickname made itself. <laughs> I'm like, I can't give you a better nickname. And I, if you're listening to this call, you're probably like, hey, you can't say those kind of things about people, but I'm disabled now, so I have like a pass. Once <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> once you're in this position, I think you get like, it's like you get a card and then that's, yeah, you can make fun of yourselves a little bit. Yeah, it's also like, I, I would imagine in a scenario like that, making not making fun, but making it fun is like a big part of what would help you to recover. Like an analogy I think that could be, you know, relatable to most people is like with your with your friends, like we all kind of, you know, we poke fun at each other and and it's it's in a good way. It's in a healthy way. You know, there's there's boundaries they don't cross. And, you know, we poke fun at each other and it's and it's funny. But if you're not friends with someone, you don't you don't poke fun at them, even though it's kind of harmless, because then it's just mean. But yeah. if you're if you're friendly with each other, you can you know make fun of each other a little bit, and and it's almost like motivational, and and it's a way to kind of build that community and build that uh, rapport amongst each other, um, to help each other keep going, and you know to make light of like a pretty dark situation for for everyone in there, right? You guys are all going through some shit, and you know to to get a smile in there is is definitely definitely helpful. Yeah, it's funny. There's a dude that I that works at the gym where I do training, and. Uh, we always gave each other a hard time before. And then the first time he saw me, like came to visit in the hospital and, and, uh, he's like, bro, you lost a ton of weight. And I was like, dude, I was in a coma for five weeks and I still have bigger arms than you. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's friendship right there, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I would re- be remiss to say like, you know, there's the big lesson I would say, like, if you're following along and you take nothing else from this podcast, you know, when you're building muscle, like we all like think about it in, in a couple of senses, right? We look at it, you know, when we're younger, we're like, I just want to look good. I want to look jacked. I want whatever. I want to, I want to look a certain way. We do it for aesthetics. And then we get a little bit older and we're like, all right, I want to do it to keep up with the kids, you know, and, and be able to keep up with what my kids are doing. And then we get a bit older. We're like, okay, I want to be able to like avoid going, you know, I want to remain living independently for as long as I can. And I want to be able to get up from a chair and get up from the floor and all that kind of stuff. Never once did it occur to me that having a certain amount of muscle mass would save my life from a critical mm. illness. Like never once was that in the plan. Like I wanted to be jacked. I wanted to keep up with my daughter. I wanted to, you know, live healthy as I got older, but I never thought, like something really terrible could happen to me one day and having this lean mass on my body will save my life. But having lost 45 pounds, the doctors basically said, like, if you came in and having not had the muscle on your body, having not been as fit and healthy as you were, you would not be here. Right. So, you know, the one thing I really wanted to make a point to say was that, um, if you're not strength training, you should probably start because building muscle doesn't happen quickly. It takes years to develop and building strength does not happen quickly. So if you're not training, you should be. And if you're a coach or trainer listening and you need to encourage somebody to do some kind of strength training, let this be your magic. Share, share this podcast with the person you're trying to reach because you know, I, you know, for me, it saved my life. And I feel like 
it could be critically important to other people. Yeah. I mean, great message. I was literally just going to ask you about like how you felt about, you know, all your previous life of training and how that positively impacted the outcome of this. And I mean, it sounds like, and not surprisingly that it obviously was, was very, uh, it saved, it saves your life, which is a hard thing to wrap your head around if you're just listening to this. But I think another, another thing to remember about this story, Mark, is that, you know, you went in for was a pretty like routine surgery. Like this thing is highly unlike, it was highly unlikely to happen to you. And something like this is highly unlikely to happen to anyone. And of course I don't wish that anything like this happens to anyone ever, but it could, it could happen. And so you better be prepared for it to happen rather than being sorry in the aftermath. I mean, you might not get the chance to be sorry is kind of the thing. And you might, you know, leave a lot of people wishing you had, Um, you know, I think the thing for me, the other big element for me was like all of the stuff I learned from strength training over the years really played into the recovery that I've had. Um, you know, I've had a, I have a really simple approach to strength training in my mind or into fitness in in general. And that is like, decide where your endpoint is that you want to get to break it down into the tiniest possible steps that you can that you can create and then pick the next closest step and aim for that one. Hmm. You know, just, you know, no matter how big the end goal is, like what is the next tiny piece of the puzzle? What do you need to do to move in that direction? And then, you know, so that's kind of like the one thing is like, what's the next step, the next small step I can do. And then my other mantra that basically gets me up in the morning is like always something, never nothing. So it's just critically important not to think about what you can't do because there's a lot of that. I mean, for me, there's a ton of things I can't do, but all I do is like, okay, I can't do that. What can I do to move me, move me in the direction of that goal? And some days it's like, yeah, I'm supposed to go for a walk. I'm supposed to work out. I'm supposed to do something, but I literally just can't. I'm physically or emotionally just, I don't have it. So I'm like, what can I do? Like there have been days, you know, where I was in the hospital and the only thing I could do was like force myself to get up and get dressed that day and, and, and get into my wheelchair and go for like a zip around the floor and come back because it got me moving. Like, Sometimes it's like, I, I'm like, I don't have the energy or the ability to go do what I want to do, but can I walk around the house one time? Yeah. Physiologically, is that going to have any benefit whatsoever? Probably no. But psychologically, it's the point of like always doing the next thing, right? Mm-hmm. And doing it, you know, always instead of the all or nothing, it's like the all or something approach. Yeah. And as simple as those two things are, like that's literally, you know, you think like, okay, like did that little thing help? All I can say is like a year ago, I was like in a hospital paralyzed and now I'm walking and people like, oh, you're an inspiration. I'm like, I'm not inspiration. I'm literally doing shit anybody could do. Like you could do these little things that I did. Right. And, uh, I mean, people will push back on that. I understand, (laughs) 
but but I guess my point is like those small things can make you into an inspiration, right? Whether it's in recovery, in fitness, in anything, essentially. I think the thing to consider there is like if someone hears your story from like coma to where you're at now, it's like, well, that seems like so far apart. Like you've made such a huge leap, but it didn't happen in a day. Like, you know, whatever it was, you know, September or October, what day is it? Today is October 26th, October 26th of 2023 or of 2022. Maybe you took 15 steps and then October 27th, you took 17 steps. And so it's like, it's not like you just woke up and then just jumped up and you're good. It's every single day, that little, little bit. And some days it was like barely noticeable what you did, like you said, right? Just a zip around the the floor on the, in the, in the wheelchair, but it's not nothing. And like, I call them zero days, right? Not having zero days where you just do nothing. And and it's, it's more than zero is, is very, very little. It can be extremely little. It can just be as much as like, you know, a little breath work, a little meditation, getting dressed. Like it can be the most basic stuff, but you're not doing absolutely nothing. And so understanding like all of the steps that someone goes on in their journey, and this doesn't even just apply to this. It applies to someone who, you know, you see a fitness cover model, like, well, that person didn't wake up like that. Like they've been training for, you know, you didn't see all the 10 years in the gym of them grinding and working hard and saying no to junk food and all this stuff to get to the way they got, like you just see the end product. And so, yeah, it seems unattainable or seems like crazy or inspirational, but if you looked at what they did, it's like, oh, that's, they just worked their goddamn ass off for like a long time. And that's how they got what they got. It's not magic and it's no trickery. It's just hard ass work. And I think like, I mean, one of the things that I've noticed is like, there's been times where like, I know if someone's trying to lose weight and they get on the scale every day, like they're not going to see progress every day. Mm -hmm. People know that. We, 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 we know that logically, but we still do it. And like in this process, there's been so many times where I'm like, literally nothing is happening. Right. And I know, I know like in my head that I have to just keep doing the things and then the outcomes are going to take care of themselves. But there are a lot of days where you're just like, nothing has happened. Maybe this is the end of when this this philosophy works and you know and then i'll try something i'll be like hey what if i try to walk without my brace and just use a cane today and like all of a sudden i walk across the living room like holy shit like all those things that i was putting in like you know the investment finally i was finally able to cash out that investment but like had i quit when it didn't feel like it was moving I would have stopped where I was. Right. So it's not like I don't have those, <laughs> those days where I don't want to do anything, but I try to minimize them. Sure. I think, I think the valuable thing there or the tangible takeaway from that is that you have to have a proper measurement tool. Being slightly better than yesterday is not, is not the ultimate goal. Like being, you know, being able to walk without the brace or being able to be in, you know, fit in a smaller pair of jeans or, you know, whatever it is for, for someone listening it's like, that's really the goal. So just because you didn't make some drastic change from yesterday, like maybe if you, if you zoom out a little bit on like the time horizon to look at, okay, how much have I accomplished in the past three days? Sorry, not, not that much on paper, but how much have I accomplished in the last three months? Oh, wow. It's like a lot, like I'm moving in, I'm moving in the right direction. So maybe I can just keep going and maybe finding a different way to test what you're doing, right? Your analogy, 
oh, I just took the brace off and I was able to do it. Great. A weight loss analogy could be, well, okay, the scale hasn't really moved, but no, let me try that, you know, that old pair of jeans on. Oh, they fit now. Like, oh, great. I used a different measurement tool and turns out I'm actually like making progress at the thing that I actually care about. And therefore you can, you can use that as positive uh, momentum to keep going. Yeah. I think, I mean, you know, literally sometimes there's like, just is no forward movement. That's what I've discovered. Like sometimes I'm just like, you just have to like literally operate on faith that even without outcomes available to you, that if you do the things that you need to do, the outcomes will take care of themselves and you have to trust in that. And, uh, yeah, it, I mean, it has played out for me. You know, I've seen it in fitness, of course, many, for many, many years with many, many people, but this, you know, this is a, one of those things where there's a, there's high stakes on this particular game. And, uh, you know, for me, like just knowing that if you just stay consistent, things will happen. It, it's a hard thing to keep your eyes on your, your, you know, your heart focused on that, but that's really the magic I think is the consistency. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And pretty much everything that we're trying to accomplish really. Pretty much. Think, I think media has us believing that like, it's like the large, you know, home run swings, the big actions that we take that are going to launch us into a whole new life, a whole new experience. And I've just found like, for the most part, like that doesn't happen. You know, I hear like people talk like, you know, uh, Saul Orwell or John Goodman talk about people becoming an overnight success after 20 years of work. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like it's like you invest, you invest, you invest, you keep trying, 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 and then boom, suddenly you're on the scene, right? And people are like, oh my God, look how fast they rose to popularity. And you're like, dude, I've been grinding. Yeah. And like, I think that's really the case for most things, right? You you just push and push and push, and then you just kind of, something just happens, but it's like those small things, not the big swings that makes a change. Yeah, you've got to be ready to receive the the luck or prepared to, you know, seize the opportunity or whatever kind of, you know, cliche, you know, insert your cliche there. But it's like, if you're, yeah. if you haven't even been putting in the work, haven't even been showing up when that opportunity shows up and slaps you in the face, you're, you're going to be asleep. And that's not like, that's not how you get those big breaks and make those big jumps. And all of a sudden you, you know, you look amazing in a, in a bikini or in a bathing suit or in a suit or dress or whatever. It's, you got to be putting in the work and the boring stuff. And that's, that's the real work. It's the boring stuff. The boring stuff is the stuff that, that works. Yeah, One thing I did. Why is it like that? Yeah. Go ahead. If, if we could, <laughs> if we could make the rules ourselves, then I think we would have designed it a little bit differently. But you know, we don't. We don't make the rules. Um, I was going to ask you about some. You mentioned how some of the you know the rehab exercises is very similar to like the same principles of strength training, right? You're just training a different thing. You're not trying to, you know you know, do an Olympic, uh, Olympic lifting, but you're trying to like get stronger and do, and taking another step or taking, you know, bending your leg a little bit more, whatever it is. So can you talk a little bit, I know we're kind of winding down time here, but just about some of those similarities between like rehab strength training and like more traditional strength training, as far as the methods or, um, you know, ta- training tactics that you've been using. I mean, I think, you know, we talk about there's this uh, there's a saying it says something like methods are many principles are few methods always change but principles never do 
So the methods or the approaches that we use to accomplish something will always be different, but the fundamental underlying principles of strength training or building muscle or all those things are all the same and unchanging, right? And I just really tried to focus on whatever the principles were that would bring about the greatest results for whatever it was that I was trying to achieve. So, you know, uh, I have to say like a lot of the recovery in my leg and my ability to walk had to do with nerve regeneration. Um, it, it had to do with muscular, you know, regeneration because my leg had atrophied a lot. So I just kind of went back to like fundamental principles, which was, you know, we, we, you know, if you want a nerve to regenerate, you have to, um, well, try to send signals down that nerve. So, you know, and repetition is, is very important for that. And I remember my physio telling me, like, I would sit, I remember when I, when I got there, I would sit on the edge of the table with my legs hanging down and he goes, I want you to extend your right leg. And I would try to extend my right leg and it would just like kind of hang there, maybe wiggle just like a quarter of an inch. And he's like, all right, I want you to do 10 reps. And I'd say, okay, I'm going to do 10 reps. And like, literally like nothing happened. I like just kind of sat there and he's like, all right, your homework is to do like a thousand reps. And I was like, (laughs) no, but how how many reps though for real? He's like, like, did I stutter? I said a thousand reps. (laughs) Yeah. And I was, I thought he was kidding, but he like literally was like a thousand reps, like repetition is the magic here. And, uh, you know, I remember saying to him at that time, I was like, does anybody you tell to do a thousand reps actually do a thousand reps or do they just go home and like literally not do a thousand? And he said, he's like, well, I think like out of all the people I've said something like that to probably like five have done a thousand reps. I was like, well, how do you know who those people were? And he's like, well, cause they walked. I'm like, damn, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, okay, I see what you're saying. I got to do my thousand reps. Yeah. But I mean, principally speaking, um, you know, the, the, the way you train to, to build muscle is, you know, you pick the training that's specific to the objective you're trying to occur or to, to cause, right? So, you know, you pick your sets and reps and everything in accordance with the goal that you're trying to achieve. In my case, it was like nerve regeneration. So I picked the approach or the principle that would guide that approach to rebuild. Um, and, you know, you pick the action that is closest to the one that you want to regain. So if you're trying to walk, well, you're going to spend a lot of time doing things that either are walking or emulate walking. In my case, assisted walking between bars and stuff like that. Um so prince i guess what it comes down to is method methodologically the methods that i use weren't necessarily the same but principally they're the same right mm-hmm. like hone down to like what are the things that are going to help with the objective you're trying to achieve and then just do those with consistency again super boring yeah, that's yeah, super the, boring, the, but that's but that's but that's strength training, right? It's like I've, I've, I'm sure I've referenced this on the podcast before, but I remember hearing um, 
a podcast with uh, Charles Poliquin before before he passed, and there yeah. was a question, and it said uh, this person asked like any any tips to get um, a really big back squat, really big number on a back squat, and he said, oh, easy, squat once a week, really heavy for ten years in a row, you'll have a big squat. I was like, oh, all right, yeah, that <laughs> checks out, <laughs> makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I mean. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to sell these things. They don't yeah. draw people to like a podcast, you know, like, you know, like a Huberman podcast. You make some elaborate claim. Um, yeah. You know, I feel like the, the stuff in fitness that that works isn't the stuff that is, you know, overhyped or, sure. you know, it's really not exciting. It's just, yeah, the people that are telling the truth are the people who are just like literally repeating the stuff you've heard a million times you just need to execute the stuff you know you should already do yeah yeah and and it's hard right like you doing a thousand reps of like and you know reps and air quotes because your leg is not even really moving a thousand signal sends to your to your leg nerves is like not that exciting and it's not really that tangible but it works. And I think, you know, the, the, the take home real tangible message from that is like your body doesn't understand reps. I think we get too caught up on like the, Oh, three sets of 10. No part of your body knows what the number 10 means. It just knows like how much signal input did I get and what does that equal in a response? And so to, you know, rebuild your entire leg that might take literal thousands of reps in a, you know, a normal fitness setting, you can get away with three sets of 10. So long as the intensity is sufficient at that 10th rep to, elicit the response that you're that you're going after but we got to get away from the numbers and think about what are we actually trying to do and that is to drive sensation or tension or whatever signal to tissue and then it will do what it does yeah you know the most interesting thing um this isn't going to help anybody but it's just a random fact so if you're ever on jeopardy you're totally going to love this uh so if you sever a peripheral nerve in your leg for example you would think that, you know, there's a cut in the nerve and the body would just lay down some new nerve where that cut is, you know, like the way we would patch a road, for example. You know, there's damage in the road, you put new. What the body actually does is this process called Wallerian degeneration. So it actually just like degenerates the whole nerve from, you know, the spine all the way down to the foot into almost like what I would consider like nerve soup. So all the ingredients are there, but like the nerves are degenerated and then it rebuilds the nerve from the spine all the way down to the foot at a rate of about an inch per month. So I'm super fortunate because I have a short, I have short legs. Um, So, but now it's been about 15 months. So the nerve regeneration has probably gone from my spine to maybe my knee. Yeah. Right. So even the lower part of my leg, my recovery hasn't even happened there. So I'm in the process of Willarian regeneration where the spine regenerates and rebuilds. But I'm like, what a stupid process. Like, bro, why didn't you just lay down some new nerve in the middle? It made me so mad when they told me that. I was just like, like, what do you mean I have to redo the whole thing? Yeah. But it is quite amazing that the body can even can even do that in these types of things like obviously shit can go like very wrong very fast but like it's also pretty amazing what what we are capable of oh yeah like i was amazed but i was also like that's dumb yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's a design flaw yeah that's a design flaw exactly if we if we could make the rules and if we could make the design we would we would have tweaked a few things but uh unfortunately we just gotta you know play the cards we were dealt right exactly exactly 
Mark, this has been amazing, and I don't want to take up too much of your time. I think that you know, I know that, I know that you say this, tell this story with a smile on your face, and have a great attitude. But I can only imagine how how difficult this whole process has truly been for you. So, so I appreciate you, you know, sharing the story, and and in hopes that it will help more people, especially the message about building muscle that could potentially save one's life. I don't think that that's something that is a small thing. Um, so I just want to say thank you for, for sharing with us and, and for being here. Um, first of all, is there, what is the best way for someone to contact you if they want to, you know, check out what you're doing, training, all that kind of stuff. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, but rattle it off uh, here for us. Yeah. So I guess the best place to reach me would be, I, I mean, I'm a social media junkie. Uh, I love posting on social media on Facebook. Uh, it's facebook.com slash Mark RJ Young. Uh, if you want, um, fitnessy stuff it would be on there um and i also post like ton of memes so you know i feel like that kind of stuff uh you can also check out my website it's marked to inspire and uh yeah that's probably the best places to connect with me and if you're on my website you can connect to instagram or all those other things as well how, how do you spell your website marked m-a-r-k-e-d number two inspired no just t-o inspire Got it. Mark to inspire. I'll throw it in the show notes for everyone. Awesome. Mark, is there any uh, last message that you want to leave everyone here in closing? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of something really intelligent to say, but like <laughs> I'm just coming up with dad jokes, so I'm probably just going to leave okay. it there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if if you're not strength training, strength train. I feel like that's probably the best thing that uh, you can take from this. And uh, I'll be something, never nothing. Amazing. Mark, thank you so much again. I, I very much appreciate you uh, for, for taking the time and, and for sharing with us today. Everybody give Mark a follow on social media. I will put the links in the show notes. Um, share this episode and, and really take to heart the things that, that have been said here and, and share it with the people in your life who you love because this episode could quite literally um, save someone's life. And that's not a that's not a small that's not a small thing to say. So share the episode, rate review. All that stuff helps get the message out there. Uh, Follow us both on social media. And um, that's that. Go outside. Be a good person. We'll see you next time.